0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Going Up Going Down podcast brought to you by The Athletic and it's actually episode two in our spin-off series EFL Completed. The idea of the series being to talk to a group of players with a similar but quite a rare footballing story. Players who have experienced the four professional tiers of English football and worked their way to the top of it. We want to hear their story their memories and get a sense of journey while we talk to them we are Ali Maxwell and on the line as well George Ellick
1: there is plenty more fantastic football content audio and written over at The Athletic and you can enjoy it for free for 90 days by going to theathletic.com forward slash EFL pod that's theathletic.com forward slash efl pod
0: and with us today is dave edwards now dave's journey is a fascinating one from Pontesbury in shropshire to a european championships semi-final with wales uh, with the conference league two League one championship and premier league football in between with shrewsbury wolves reading and of course with wales Uh, dangerous dave as the wolves fans used to call him Uh, how are you thank you so much for joining us
2: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, nice to be able to sit down and reminisce about football, especially when it's, as you said, when you put it all into perspective like that, it does seem a bit of a crazy journey. Um, so
0: looking <laughs> forward to chatting about it. You made your professional debut at age 17 for your local club, Shrewsbury. Uh, having grown up in Shropshire and worked up through the Shrewsbury Academy, you'd have thought age 17, making your debut for, for that club would be a wonderful moment. But I imagine it might have been a slightly mixed feelings because uh reading up on this, it was also Shrewsbury's eighth successive defeat and the day that they were relegated from the EFL after 53 years in the league. Yeah, it
2: was it was really bittersweet. Uh to play a professional game was always my ambition, and just to do it once would have been enough for me. But leading into that weird We've gone on an awful run after such a good FA Cup um, season where we, we beat Everton famously. And then we we lost to Chelsea in the fourth round. But then our league form really took a dip after that. And we we're actually relegated on the Tuesday night before that last game. Um, and Kevin Ratcliffe was the manager. And he got sacked straight away. And Mark Atkins, who used to play for Blackburn, won the Premier League of Blackburn. He was at Shrews- Shrewsbury at the time. And he was put in, in charge alongside the youth team manager. And straight away, the youth team manager, I've sort of been in and around the first team training, but I remember the youth team manager saying to me straight away, look, you'll, you'll be involved on Saturday. And I was only a first year YTS and there was a couple of second years as well. So I was, I was <laughs> delighted with it, obviously. They must um, have been but, a
0: bit put, bit put out about
2: that. Yeah. So there, there was me and there was one other lad on the bench as well from the youth team. So I was obviously delighted being a younger one. Um but then I, I remember the day I was so nervous. I was. I remember before leaving for the game, I was at home and so still living at home at the time. I was kicking the ball against the wall outside like I always used to do, just waiting for my mum to take me to the game. Um, bizarre when you think about it. And when I finally got the call to come on with about 10 minutes to go, we were losing 2-1 to Scunthorpe. Um, but I remember sort of every moment of that game, one of the games I do remember, Um I was always such a huge Shrewsbury fan, um, went to every single game, home and away. So it was so surreal then to be stood on the pitch with three or four thousand Shrewsbury fans there. Um, and even though we've been relegated, the atmosphere was actually, it was okay. I think the process we were relegated already um, and it was all looking ahead to, to the following season. But yeah, I went out for a bit of a celebratory meal that night um, <laughs> but after just being relegated. But yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was great and it set me up then for the following season.
0: The good news was at Shrewsbury work, were straight back up and you were kind of on the fringes in that non-league season, only 17, 18, as we've discussed. Really started to establish yourself in this Shrewsbury side between sort of 2004, 2006 under Gary Peters. Were you the player you are now in that team? What what was your role? What was your game like at that time when you were breaking through?
2: Yeah, it was, it was similar. It was all about energy. I... I was I was so fit as a youngster. I loved cross country. Sort of grew up in the hills in Shropshire. So I was I was fit as anything could be. And I, I look back at games now, and I see myself running around, and I think, wow, um, <laughs> I wish I could still do that now. But yeah, I was I was all about effort and determination. And um, I, I was a central midfielder. But when I was started to get back into the team under Gary Peters, because I played a little bit in the I think I played twenty games or so in the conference under Jimmy Quinn. Um, but then Jimmy Quinn started the following season, but we had a bit of a bad run. Then he left and I was sort of in and out of the team. But then Gary Peters came and um, he played me on the right of uh, a four-man midfield. So it's it's a role I played a lot in my younger years. I was always a central midfielder, but it was just all about energy, working hard, um, winning the ball back, getting past the front two when I could. Um, yeah, and it was just no real logic to it apart from run as much as I could.
0: It's obviously been a long time since you were playing in League Two, but what do you remember about the challenges for you playing in midfield as a teenager in League Two at that time?
2: For me, it was all about physicality. That That's what was drummed into me as a 18-year-old, 19-year-old during that period, that I needed to be physically strong enough to play in centre-field. That's why a couple of times I played on the right, um, but the more... Gary Peters was incredible for, for my career um, and he did want to play me in centre-field, but he just wanted to trust me and it was all about second balls and to sum it up, he, he put me, he put a session on with just me um, after training. Me and him went back outside in the afternoon on our own and if you imagine um, the Lions on a football pitch, he, he, he cordoned off an area from the side of the 18-yard box to the touchline, the throw in line. So like, made another square in the corner of the pitch. And we stood in the centre circle for about 45 minutes and he chucked balls over my head and I just had to hook it and try and land it in that square for about 45 minutes. Um, and, that, and that's what he was about and that's what we were about as a team. It was all about percentage football and leaving the ball in that corner so we could win a throw-in down there or a corner or get a cross-in. Um, and that was, you, you don't grow up as a kid wanting to play football like that. So it was a bit of a culture shock. um But that's what it got me in the team. I realized what I had to do as a player. At, at times with different managers, you find this all the way through that you have to make sacrifices, what you want to do or what you feel is best to get in the team. Because if you're not in the team, then you're not going to progress your football career. So there was times where I'm doing things that I didn't necessarily believe in, like that just lumping it into the corners at times. And he had a rule that we weren't allowed. The fullbacks were not allowed to play, pass to the centre-fielders at any point. It was too risky a pass. So you, you don't look for the ball off the fence. You just looked for the ball going into the channel, winning second balls. And then I felt then for me to, to show people how good I was, I had to be... Um, be my running off the ball and sort of when i did have space in front of me the ball running into it and and trying to drive into the box and that's probably what then um took my game that way um trying to rave late, arrive late in the box i needed those big moments because i wasn't showing it in terms of on the ball and being able to play i had to find a way of of showing people um, that i was a good player
0: And, I mean, remarkable to look back now at a Shrewsbury side in League Two in 2005-2006 season with uh, an 18-year-old in yourself and a 17-year-old in Joe Hart who would go on to play... um, multiple seasons in the Premier League and at the highest level internationally as well in in major international tournaments. Um, What was your relationship with Joe Hart? I've got a note here that says, a young Joe Hart in goal, dot, 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 and in the spare room, question mark. Yeah,
2: Yeah, me me and Joe are really good mates. Um, He was a year below me, but because he was always in and around the first team. And I was really one, there was only a couple of us from the youth team who were ever involved. So me and Joe became very close cause it was always us two with all the older lads. Um, and we only live sort of five or six miles apart growing up and we had battles with school teams and things like that. Um, yeah, but we became very close. And then when I bought my first house, um, in Shrewsbury, a little two bed place, uh, Joe was still living at home, and we sort of just made sense for him to come and move in with me. And he gave me, I think, fifty quid a week. I think to to stay in the spare room. Um, but it was it was great time. He was probably there for about a year, eighteen months. Um, it's memories that all sort of last forever as, as young lads sort of getting their independence for the first time. But then also, I was actually chatting to him the other day about it, and I posted a video on my social media of uh, a Shrewsbury game when we played Wrexham. So it must be that right that era, and. He said, I remember that game. They were the days, weren't they? And life was so simple back then for, for us. It was literally everything was football. We would just train, enjoy it, win on a Saturday, and then go out for a drink on a Saturday night. And that was the perfect week. Um and that's what we that's what we did for two or three years. Um but yeah, but everyone knew it's true, how good Joe was, and the manager knew as well. Um, and it was only a matter of time before he was gonna move on to bigger and better things.
1: Moving on now into the first kind of key season, I would say in terms of progression in your career which was the 2006-2007 season in the previous two campaigns you'd established yourself as a Shrewsbury first team player but in 06-07 it was a brilliant season for both you and for Shrewsbury uh, we'll get on to what happened at the, at the end of it in a second but firstly was there a feeling at Shrewsbury at the time that this was a season you were, you were going for, for for promotion it was Gary Peters's second full season you'd finished Tenth the season before, and for yourself, did you feel like you were finally getting to a level where you were just a little bit better than League Two?
2: I think there's probably a, a little bit of of everything there. We, we did believe we had a, we had a good team. um To say at the start of the season we thought we would get into the playoffs, we, we probably didn't. But we were such a, a dogged team and just work hard, and was The team spirit was brilliant, and that's enough in in the lower leagues to get you through. I think. If you're a team that can win second balls and make it ugly for people and have goal scorers in the team, um, then you've got half a chance. And it was just confidence of us. We got better and better as the season went on. Um, And I felt, especially for me personally, the back end of the season before and then I think the season before, I kind of, I remember sweeping up at the player of the year awards and the young player of the year, player of the year, fans, player of the year all that sort of stuff. Um, and I just was on top of the world, a local lad playing for his club. It was everything. And then the start of that season we're talking about, my form was was brilliant. I felt like I was physically, um, my running power and things, I just felt that teams couldn't deal with me um, when I was running with the ball and, and running forward. Um, but as it got to around the January time, there was all talk about I was out of contract in the summer, what was going to happen. And, um, and at the time, I didn't think it was affecting me. But I look back, my form definitely dipped after sort of February, March time. Um, I turned down a new contract and things like that. And I, it did suffer a little bit. At the time, I thought, no, nah, I'm, I'm all good. But um, in terms of leading up to that period, though, I definitely felt that um, I was on the brink of, of hopefully getting promoted with Shrewsbury. That would have been the best case scenario um, at the time. But if not, then it might be time to go and test myself at a new level.
1: So as you mentioned, you rejected a new contract, uh, and that meant that Gary Peters, the manager, left you out of the squad for the playoff semi-finals and for then the playoff final as well, which Shrewsbury ended up losing. Fair to say, this probably wasn't the way you wanted your Shrewsbury career to end. Uh, You've mentioned as well that you're a big Shrewsbury fan. What was it like? to be left out for those massive games, having played all season, playing such a big role as well. And what was it like to to go and see the team that you play for, the team that you love getting beat in the playoff final?
2: It was all pretty horrific situation. I think I played 44 games that season. I think the ones I missed was because I was playing for Wales under-21s. So I think at that time you, you couldn't sort of do both and the games continued. So I think I would have pretty much played every game and then for the semi-finals, I actually picked up um, a little bit of an injury in the last game of the season. I tweaked my groin, so I was missing those two games for injury, but I was back and available for the final. Um, and we had these contract discussions leading up to that. And um, I kind of made it clear in, in my mind that I'm not saying I'm never going to sign, but I just want to see what happens first in terms of if we get promoted and, and then look at options in the summer. But then on the the more, the first morning of the start of the the playoff final week the manager called me into his office and said look if you sign your contract you'll play you're playing the final if you don't sign then you, you won't be around and then I, I made the decision to to not sign um and say look he knows i'm going to go i still thought in my heart of hearts he was still playing me um but then i went to the training ground the next day and he just told me to leave and it was a, it was a real sad end to to my Shrewsbury career cuz say it was the first competitive game at Wembley as well the new Wembley Um, and for your hometown club and everything that goes alongside that it would have been huge for me even even now and I think I've never played at Wembley since then and if we could do it with Shrewsbury next season get to the playoff final it would be right up there with the pinnacle of my career and to miss out on that moment was was really tough and I I went to the game with some friends and then it was it was sort of bittersweet when Shrewsbury scored I was like oh buzzing the she got a chance of going up and things like that but then I was disappointed I wasn't on the pitch and then it just the day went a bit sour then I think we lost 3-1 Um it was just a bad experience but it made up my mind and I had there was no turning back then whatever happened I was going to sign for a new club so that was that's what my focus was
1: on. How did the fans treat you in the in the stadium when they saw you there as a fan?
2: The fans are really good to be honest Um I think they know that because I'm a fan and they knew that a lot of them would have seen me when I was a kid there watching and I played for the away supporters when I was younger and things like that. So I think they knew that what I was doing was all for the progression of my career. Um, I think the majority of them, from what I was feeling, was that they were more frustrated with the manager for not for not playing me. Um, but when I speak to fans nowadays about it, uh, there seems to be no um, ill feeling from them towards me. And it was just... Uh, just a bad situation for everyone, I think.
1: Before we move on from your first spell at Shrewsbury, do you have any regrets about that time? If you could have those couple of weeks again at the end of that season, would you do anything differently?
2: Um, yes, it would have been hard for me to make a different decision in terms of the contract. Um, but I, At the same time, I do gen- generally feel that I think I could have made a difference on that day in the final as well because... The, the way I play in my game, going on to Wembley on this huge pitch, I've, I've sort of alluded to before that my strengths were my athleticism at that sort of age. I think I would have really um, been able to perform on, on that level um, and use the space on the pitch to to my advantage. So I, I do think I'd have made a difference. But reflecting that, I, I don't think um, logically I could have made a different decision with the contract. I consulted so many people, so many... Mentors I, I'd had in the game with different coaches, my family, um, all things like, and not one person said to me I should sign. They all said that the manager's got a gum to your head, um, and that's not that's not how it should be. So I don't think I'd have made a different decision.
1: So the next move was, or the first move was to Luton. Did you have any other options on the table, or, or was it always going to be them when they came in for you?
2: Yeah, well, I, I was. Um, I remember Gary Peter saying to me, "You better have something lined up because I've had no phone calls about you." <laughs> and um, so that was always in the back of my mind and when I speak to me she says oh, don't worry it'll, it'll all happen at the end of the season I went on holiday and um, I'm back and it's still still quite quiet um, I'd met Barry Fry and Darren Ferguson at Peterborough um, and it actually came out in the press that I, would, I was signing for Peterborough but at the time they were in, in League 2 with Shrewsbury they were having a real good go they were um, had money to spend, and it was at the time when they were getting a lot of non-league players, the, the better non-league players, and, and really making a push. Um, but I, I I couldn't justify making, even though it wasn't a sideways move, because people were progressing, it, it would have looked a sideways move, going to another League Two team. Um, but then uh, Kevin Blackwell came in from Luton, and I went down to, to meet him, and straight away... Um, he made me feel really at home and that's what I wanted to do. They'd just been relegated from the Championship and I thought they'd have a, a good chance of getting promoted again and it was a step forward. It, it wasn't a million miles away from, from Shropshire. It was sort of only a couple of hours, so it all fitted well and it was a, a real nice family club, similar to what Shrewsbury is. So it was, after I met Kevin Blackhall, it was, a, it was an easy decision for me.
1: So that move took you into League One. But it's fair to say it didn't quite go as you'd expected. The club was you know shrouded in financial difficulty, struggling to pay staff, all pretty topical at the moment, I guess. When did you realise the severity of the situation at Luton?
2: It was probably around the the October November time, and again i was I was quite young, I was only twenty one, so I was quite naive to it all. And, it'd be different if I was my age now looking at it and I could see the worry in some of the other lads faces who had mortgages and bills to pay and things like that Where I, I didn't really have anything to pay. I was living on my own and I didn't have any, any responsibilities or anything like that. So I was fine to be missing a little bit of wages and things, but around that October and November time, I think they missed, they missed um, the, the, the day in the month we got paid. And I just thought it was a, sort of a, an admin error of, of some kind but then we had a meeting the next day and it kind of showed how difficult things were but they were said no you will get paid it'll just be a little bit late but then it just deteriorated so quickly from there um and then it got so bad i remember it got to december um and kevin blackwell had a conversation with everyone and said look that they've told me to come and tell you guys if you can get yourself out and get out of your contracts and there's basically a club that wants you and will pay money for you. You're free to speak to anyone you want. Um, And that was a bizarre situation. And in hindsight, as horrendous a situation it was for Luton, for my own personal professional development, I'd had quite a good six months at Luton. I played a lot of games. We were doing well in the FA Cup um, and I had a little bit of interest around me. So it kind of played into my hands a little bit. And then the start of January, we were lucky that we, we played Liverpool in the FA Cup um, and I probably had my best game for Luton. And off the back of that, I all of a sudden had teams trying to sign me and Luton were desperate to get any sort of cash in. So any asset they had, they were willing to, to listen to offers and it wasn't a case of if I'll go, they they wanted me gone. Um, and that's not from a, a selfish point of view at all. It was I remember speaking to Nick Owen, um, who's obviously a big part of Luton now, and he said the money that, that came in off me and another lad pretty much saved the football club. So they were just desperate to get us out the door. Um, and then on a the professional development side from me, it was an incredible opportunity then to go from playing in League Two to six months later, going into the championship.
1: I think you've been quite modest there about your on-pitch form uh, in your six months at Luton. From what I can tell, you were a star player there. Uh, certainly in the, in the league campaign, you pretty much stole the show in a, in a draw against Liverpool in the Cup and you also made your uh, Wales debut in November 2007 as well in a two-all draw against Ireland coming off the bench. And then you started in a nil draw away at Germany. So on, despite problems off field, uh, certainly as a footballer and for your career, things were progressing pretty quickly. What, what do you remember about that Liverpool game? Knowing what was happening at Luton off the pitch, knowing the financial struggles... Were you aware that, you know, a good performance here could really elevate the kind of club that you'd be moving to fairly soon?
2: Um, naively, no. It was just all about <laughs> playing. it's all about playing Nymphal. I'd never played a team like that, even in all my time at Shrewsbury. We never had a big cup tie or anything like that So it's the first time I ever came across a Premier League team in a competitive game. Um, and I was just so excited. Um, and we were at home and Kenilworth Road our away form that season was horrific we didn't think we won a game but our home form was brilliant we didn't lose a game so um, it's such a tough place for teams to go and play and I just remember I was looking forward to the game so much Um, and then I had a big chance early on a one-on-one which Pepe Reina saved Um, and I was disappointed but I just you know, as a footballer you know when when you're feeling confident in your own form and you start taking a few more touches, you want the ball all over the pitch. And it was just one of those days for me. Um, and then I was sort of, I was involved in a way in, in in our goal. It was a cross which came in from the left and I kind of dived and lunged in to the ball. I just missed it, but John Arnaurisa kind of followed me in and the ball hit him after me because he had no time to react and it went in. Um, so yeah, it was, it was it was a good game for me. And as you said, my form... It, it was decent. I got the the Wales recognition, which was huge for me at the time. Um, but Kevin Blackwell, he was a huge part of it. Or I, I said before about how big a part he played in me going there. But my development as well, um, he he looked after me so much as a 21-year-old moving away from his family for the first time. Um, he really went out of his way to make sure that I was as comfortable as I could possibly be. Um sort of living down in Luton and things like that. He would always be making sure that I had things to do. I was making friends and all these sorts of things. He, he was really brilliant. I can't thank him enough. Um, but the, I, I still go back to uh, when I, when I did leave um, when I did leave Luton, we, we had an international game for Wales and we played at Wrexham um, against Norway. And it was my third international cap. And I remember the difference. We I'd obviously played at Wrexham the season before for Shrewsbury in League Two. And then, probably less than a year later, I'm there making my third international cap and playing the Championship. It was just an absolute um, roller coaster ride that kind of gone so sour at one point. And then, all of a sudden, I just shot up and saw. Sort of, when I was at Shrewsbury in League Two, the Premier League and everything seems so far away. Playing for Wales seems so far away and you never really think it's achievable because it just seems like a different world, a different dimension. But then as you start to gradually make those steps and it does come um, into reality, it's, it's bizarre and I was just enjoying every moment of it
1: maybe a message there for any young players who are going through difficult times. You know, you had your contract issue at Shrewsbury, you had the financial issues at Luton and both of them inadvertently ended up helping get you up to the championship along, of course, with your brilliant form on the pitch. Uh, it wasn't just Wolves who were rumoured to be in for you, Nottingham Forest and Watford, two other sides it would have been interesting to see you make the jump from cash trap Luton to Watford.
2: I know, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was that ever on the cards?
2: Um, I think I, I knew Watford were interested and, um, it was, I was still, I was wanting to move more back towards home, to be honest, if I could. Um, and Notts Forest were really interested. And I spoke to them there and I was really impressed with, I think it was Colin Coldwood was the manager. Um, I was really impressed with them, but they were in league one at the time with Luton. But then as, as soon as Wolves came in, um, if, If the deal, if the contract was okay and everything like that, then that was the only place I was going to sign because obviously it was so close to shops and it's just such a massive club, massive football (laughs) club. Um, And my brother's a massive Wolves fan as well and he would have killed me if I hadn't signed. (laughs) uh,
0: What sort of shape were, were Wolves in when you joined January 2008? Uh, probably what what is it a, a year or two two or three years after being relegated from the Premier League, Mick McCarthy is in charge. Just a bit of context for the listeners. Uh, 18 months into his tenure, which lasted five and a half years, what was Wolves like when you walked through the door? For
2: me, it was it was just I could not believe the size of the football, just the training ground, the stadium. It just was it, I felt was, I was so lucky to be there. Um, but as the team, Mick had taken over the year before when I think they were favourites to get relegated. Um, it worked an absolute wonder with no money whatsoever. And he'd would very he gone down the route of, right, we need to recruit players from the lower leagues who are not going to cost a lot of money. And he brought in the likes of uh, Michael Kitely from Grays, Matt Jarvis from Gillingham. Andy Keogh from Scunthorpe, I think it all was, Stephen Ward, he brought over from Ireland. So he had all these, That's all similar age to me and I was obviously another one of those people as well, coming from lower leagues. So he had a young and hungry squad who the fans were really getting behind um, and they could see something special happening. And I came in the January and we was always in the top half in and around the playoffs. Um, but we would just say, so athletic and we're just trying to run all over teams and things like that and we just missed out on the playoffs that year and missed out on goal difference maybe or by a point um, but it was definitely a club which was moving forward and had a real identity um, we didn't have the the money which people would expect Wolves to have um, with being such a big club um, but I think the whole club were, were singing off the same hymn sheet and we were all moving forward with this sort of young and hungry team with a couple of obviously older boys with, but really good Experienced pros, the likes of Jody Craddock and Gary Breen, and people like that. Um, So, no, everything was good, and everyone was looking forward to the following season.
0: Uh, Well, it was a remarkable example of. Uh, great EFL recruitment as you've mentioned and and in in 2008 2009 your first full season there everything just clicks uh the, the the club win seven of their opening eight games in the championship scoring 23 goals in those eight games and of course the season ends in promotion just looking at that squad it is it's just a fantastic group of players and and even with 11 12 years um, of hindsight to look back you can you can see why it was so effective and, and why the team did so well i mean just the the front line you've got sylvan ebanks blake who wins the golden boot for the second consecutive year in the championship which is very rare um and and his foil chris Iwelamo or sam Vokes, um andy keogh you mentioned uh, and in midfield, it, it was kind of Carl Henry, I guess, the enforcer and yourself uh, and David Jones, who who would sort of uh, rotate to take on that that second midfield role. What was it like being part of that team? I can imagine that is such a, a fond memory for you that season.
2: Yeah, it really was. And it was nice because all of us, there was a group of perhaps seven or eight players who were all the same age, all sort of 22, 23. None of us had played in the Premier League. And at the start of the season we felt we could do something, but not to the extent with which we did, but momentum grew and we just got out of the block so quickly, those first eight games. Um, and it just, everything just worked. We were such an exciting football team to watch, especially with the wingers, with with Michael Kitely and Matt Jarvis, just the pace and the trickery. Um, and you add into that the mix of, say, Silva, who he, he actually signed the week before me in the January leading up to that. He was in the form of his life. And, um, just an out-and-out out goal scorer. Uh, Wolves fans absolutely loved him. He was brilliant to play with. And we had Andy Keogh, who's brilliant at linking up play. We had Sam Vokes, who's a young, a young lad coming in. I think he was only 18 when he signed for us, Vokes he was. Um, but he was going to be a target man, a very good one at that. And then we had we brought Chrissie in late into the preseason. I think Looms was the guy who came in and kind of knitted it all together. He was the target man we'd been sort of missing. But we had the wonderful blend that Keo could come in and play, start, come on, and the same with Voxie. Um, And we just had options everywhere. Um, but I say it was... I remember the fans were buzzing at the start of that year because we were putting three and four past teams. You're going to every game thinking, yeah, we're going to win today. Um, and we first half of the season we absolutely romped it um a bit of an experience showed later on in the season as we started to go for a bit of a dip but all in all it was a, a real really successful season and Mick McCarthy at the helm of that uh, and Terry Connor um they knew exactly what we had they, they could tell and they knew what we needed at different times and they, they got the best out of every single player
0: with Wolves it was a you know it was a joyous canter to the title so probably had less of, of that Obvious moment uh, of realization, but what do you remember about the sort of emotions and and your reflections on realizing that you were going to be a a Premier League player?
2: It really is true when I said at the start of your career, it it seems so far away. If if someone has said to me as a seventeen year old that you're going to play in the Premier League, as, as optimistic as you might be and as ambitious as you might be, it just seems almost unattainable um, and the same with the international stuff. So every step along the way I was having these little goals. And then as soon as we got promoted I, in my head, I didn't feel like a premier league player, but I was thinking if I can just play one premier league game, then I'll be so happy because it means I played in the premier league. And that was my, the whole of the off season, the whole of the preseason. It was like, just get myself in a position to be on the pitch for one minute in the premier league. And then I've achieved so much and I'll be so happy. Um, but then, obviously, once you finally do that and your goals change again, you move on to the next thing. Um, and that's what it's been like all through my career. Um, but it was more, like I alluded to before, it was just how quickly it all come around. In the space of 18 months, really, I had gone from League 2 to then, say, go through League 1, internationals, two different moves, and then all of a sudden I'm in the Premier League. Um, and it does happen so quickly. And you try and take it all in, but as a, a young 20, I'd have been 22 then, going on 23 maybe. Um, yeah, I was just more interested in going to play at Man United, going to play at Arsenal and all those sorts of things. Not really being old enough or wise enough to reflect on actually what was happening to me.
1: Initially acclimatising to life in the Premier League, what, what do you remember about the quality? What was different to the kind of football you've been playing before?
2: <laughs> um it was just the occasion of everything, I think. Every game just felt like it was such a huge occasion, whether if it was home at Molyneux or if it was away at another club, it's just the build-up to it, the the media attention you get, um, knowing it's all the interviews a bit knowing it's gonna be on match of the day and things like that. Every single game within its own right felt like a, a huge occasion where it doesn't quite feel like that lower low league day You're just on to the next game all the time and it's just ticking the games off where the Premier League is very different because more often than not, it's Saturday, Saturday as well. So you all have that long build up into the game. Um, and it was, I I just, I absolutely loved it so much. Because I say the first game I was on the bench and we, we were losing two, and then I came on. But I remember Sylvain got injured and we'd made all three subs, and it was just, it wasn't the Premier League debut I really wanted to make. We were chasing the ball around with 10 men on the pitch. It was hard work. But I started the next game away at Wigan, which we won. And then I stayed in the team then, and I was just, I was, Loving, loving it completely. And I was either playing in, in a three-man midfield or I was playing wide right. I played quite a lot wide right in the first couple of seasons in the Premier League. Um And up until Christmas, I was pretty much playing every game, I think. Um, and we were doing okay. We was having, I think we started okay. Then we had a run of bad form. But just ticking off all these Premier League grounds and going there, the atmosphere and they're physically so much more demanding than any other games I've played in because you'd be chasing the ball for long periods. And all of a sudden, I'd been used to being able to run all over teams with my own personal um, attributes. But all of a sudden, I'm up against guys who are quicker and stronger and fitter than me. So I'm having to find other ways to try and implement my game on them. Um, and it, it was really difficult, but I just loved it so much. It was um, really every every single match day was an occasion. And yeah, I was in my element.
1: You said at the top of the show, sorry. <clears throat> you said at the top of the show that you only remember thirty or forty games from your career in detail. I have a feeling that one of them might have been Wolves' first Premier League win at Molyneux against Fulham. It was a two-one win, and you scored the second goal. For someone, I mean, you mentioned as well that you just wanted to play one game for Shrewsbury. You just wanted to play one Premier League game, presumably scoring. The winning goal in a Premier League game, for Wolves at Molyneux, was that the moment that you really felt like, you know, you'd you'd made it, you'd hit where you wanted to be?
2: Yeah, and it's probably for different reasons. I felt like I'd made it because it was on a Sunday, the game was, and I remember watching Match of the Day 2 that night. And, you know, when they have the graphics behind, it was a graphic of me celebrating. Um, so that's point, I thought, that's yeah, amazing. I made it. I, I made the graphic behind where, I don't think it was Gary Lineker, I think it was I think Mark Chapman or someone like that, Whoever's I was doing the, the match of the day too. Um, yeah, my graphic was behind him. But yeah, I, I remember that beautiful sunshine that day and we'd gone 1-0 up and we were playing really well. And it was probably one of my better goals for Wolves. I think Andy Keir, like I said, he, he used to link play so well. Um, and... He had the ball in in the in Fulham's box, but he was just waiting for support, and then he just rolled the ball to me on the edge of the box. I managed to strike it really well, and it flew in the top corner. Um, yeah, and just I mean, there's no no better feeling than scoring a goal, but then to to know you've done it in the Premier League. And then being a winner as well, it was, yeah, it was extra special. I remember that for about 15 minutes after I scored, the energy levels I had went through the roof. Just the adrenaline <laughs> and everything went surging through me. Uh, I remember I was chasing down everyone. I nearly scored a second goal by closing down Mark Schwarzer, Um, just from pure just wanting to run and affect the game but yeah it was it was another real special and another one of those little checklists which I keep saying the target you aim for Premier League goal ticked off and I've pretty much done everything at this point now which you'd want to do as a footballer in terms of sort of playing a professional game playing for your country scoring for your country um playing the Premier League scoring the Premier League it was just yeah re- really 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 good time
1: Ali we have an exciting new sponsor for the podcast we've already had three of your favorite things already beer fashion and shaving so what is it next on the list
0: well given we've already had those three I think it can only be one of three things probably and that is fried food or something to do with golf or maybe singing or music
1: yes Third time Lucky, I know how much you've been missing your karaoke, but now you do not need to. With Lucky Voice, you can dust off the vocal cords at home. It's really fun and easy to do at home on a laptop, smartphone, or iPad with over 9,000 up-to-date songs to choose from. And Lucky Voice are offering a free one-month trial uh, with the voucher code going up. Karaoke.
0: At home, George, is an absolute game changer for the rest of my life, to be quite honest with you. I know from a night out we had in Leeds earlier this season, after that West Brom game, your go-to karaoke song is A Town Called Malice.
1: <sighs> yeah, and yours was Fire by Kasabian, although fair to say those were chosen by the people, the students who were joining on stage by so I think we can have some more up our sleeve.
0: Oh, I still remember that high note. Look, um, what do you think would be the best... EFL themed karaoke songs. Let's let's keep it, you know. Let's keep it EFL.
1: Well, I'd like to hear Blackburn midfielder Lewis Travis sing the Travis song. Sing, personally.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, Matt Grimes has got a whole genre just in his surname, so there's plenty we <laughs> can work with there. And as you know, ever since I put. Suddenly, James Bree onto Katie Tunstall's (laughs) classic. I've been trying to flesh out the lyrics for that one. So let's see how we go. Uh, Lucky Voice is a really fun and easy activity to do at home on a laptop or a smartphone or an iPad. Brilliant for all ages. Great for kids and for families as well. There's over 9,000 songs, up-to-date songs as well to choose from. And Lucky Voice are offering you, the listener, one free month of singing with the voucher Going Up. That's all one word, Going Up. Head to luckyvoicekaraoke.com for more information.
1: We've spoken a lot about the the good times of your career to this date. uh, But fair to say the next couple of seasons were were difficult for you. You've spoken about how your physicality and your fitness was such key parts of your game, but, but you struggled for injuries over the next couple of seasons. How difficult was that for you to, to deal with someone who relied on their fitness so much to have to deal with, I guess, somewhat stagnating, not being able to get out on the pitch because you were injured?
2: Yeah, and I think it, because we're in the Premier League as well. And I think I have just felt like I was missing out so much. Um, and I went for a real tough couple of years, sort of after that first six months in the Premier League. I think mean, the first injury I had was White Hart Lane. I um, snapped an ankle ligament. Um, just, I think, I remember Ben Benoit Asukato, he he went to chop the ball inside. I kind of went with him, but he went the other way. And as I tried to go back, my ankle just kind of gave up. I thought I'd broken my ankle at the time, but I don't know if it's fortunate. i not, but I snapped the ligament instead. Um yeah, and that was my first proper injury. And like I, like you alluded to, my journey from Shrewsbury had always been about playing, getting better, moving on next level, next thing to do. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be out for um, a bit of a long time. And I remember one of the thoughts going from my head at the time was that in my contract I had, if I started 20 Premier League games, then I would get a new contract. Um, and I was on 16, I think, at the time when I did it. And then I missed three months or so of football and i come back and there was, I always remember there was like five games left and I needed three starts. And I came on the first few games and I got back and then I started two games. I went to 19 games, but then I didn't start the last game of the season. And I was devastated. But Mick McCarthy, he caught in the summer where I sort of renewed my contract anyway. But I remember that was a, a thought going through my mind. But it, it was the start of a difficult couple of years. I think the way I played football, as i said, it's so physical and, after every game i know i put so much effort into it. i was always playing on the edge there's no way i could even now there's no way i can go into a game and play within myself because i'm not the most technically gifted player i'm not going to sit in the middle of the park and and pass teams off the pitch um mine is about my anticipation my running power and things like that so for me to be in the team i need to be maximizing that and obviously with all of that, it's going to come pushing your body to beyond its limits at time. Um, and I think that's probably why I've had quite a few injuries in my career is because I'm always on the edge. And I think it all finally caught me. When you're young, you you feel like you can do anything. But I was getting to 23, 24 years old, and these little things were starting to catch up with me a little bit. Um, and it was a lot of soul searching over those next few years to find a, a way that I could keep myself fit and healthy. And it, it was really tough really tough mentally Um, looking back now I was definitely sort of in depression it's you'd never admit that because it's it sounds so stupid that you're a, a Premier League footballer and you've got all these things going for you and because you're injured and you can't play you're depressed and to the outside world that feels almost selfish when there's so much bad things going on but as a person and you're, you're the only person inside your mind and when football is all, you know, and you can't do it. And it felt like at the time I was really missing out because I was missing out on premier league games, which I I wouldn't get back. Um, It it was really difficult to deal with. And it it took me a good couple of years to come through the other side.
1: There were good times as well during that period um, of, playing against Manchester City at Molineux I mentioned that we get on to Joe Hart again uh, a, a famous victory this was for Wolves you scoring the winner that Man City team Joe Hart Mika Richards Vincent Company Jerome Boateng Carlo Torre James Milner Gareth Barry David Silva Yaya Torre Emmanuel Adebayor and Mario Balotelli and just Patrick Vieira <laughs> Sean Wright Phillips yeah. <laughs> Julian Lescott and Pablo Zabaleta on the bench not a bad, uh, you know, obviously this was a time where, where you were struggling both physically and mentally, but that must stand out, especially with the Lodger in goal, that must stand out as, as yeah. a as a Premier League highlight.
2: When I was fit and healthy, then I was fine, mentally I was it's just that not being able to play football which really I struggled with. Um But yeah, that, that game in particular, we were desperate for a win at the time, we'd been on a, an awful run and there was a lot of pressure on the game, Um but we, we played really well and I just remember that, it was a time where Man City, obviously, they had all the money, but they were starting to really progress as well. They were starting to to be a real force. And it was just, yeah, so extra special that we. I think it was one all at the time. And um, I remember vividly the ball got played down the right and Kevin Foley was playing on the right of midfield that day. Um, he crossed the ball in and Kevin Doyle had a shot. And then all of a sudden it just, just dropped to me, sort of eight yards out, middle of the goal. Joe had already started to dive to his to his right hand side so it was just big open space to, to to his other side and I remember slipping over as I hit it but yeah that was pure elation um, in such a big game and we needed I remember trying to see out the game we were under so much pressure that last 5 or 10 minutes and i think the distances we ran were through the roof that day um but just, as you say with Joe we've we played against each other in school teams um When we had a famous uh, semi-final in our sort of county cup when he went to a school called Meal Brace and I went to a school called Webb and went through to penalties. And we lost 10-9 on penalties, but I managed to score my penalty past him. Um, We always talked about that. And then going, I played against him for England under-21s versus Wales under-21s. But then to play against him in the Premier League, um, we played against him when he was on loan at Birmingham, but then to play against Man City and score past him, I don't even think he was that mad. I remember him saying to the game, if anyone's going to score, I'm glad it was you. Um, yeah. And all his family there and they still rib me about it to this day. Um, but yeah, I think it's not, it's a nice thing for Shrewsbury as well to see two of their, two of their own, two Shrewsbury lads who come through the system playing against each other at a premier league level. It's, It doesn't often happen to clubs like Shrewsbury. So, um, yeah, I think for the whole county, it was pretty incredible.
0: No career will ever just be constant success. And and you had your first taste of relegation with Wolves. In fact, it was a a back-to-back relegation, uh, which is pretty unusual, from Premier League down to League One, a really desperate time for the club. I'm sure there's been a lot said, probably a lot said at the time about um, about the whys and, and who's to blame, etc. How, how do you begin to explain that double relegation?
2: Yeah, it was a real terrible time, real tough time. Um, the club became very disjointed. There was a, a real... Um, break between the fans and the players in terms of togetherness you, you could just tell uh the fans were not happy with performances on the pitch the players felt that the fans were being overly negative um it was it was a tough time and there'd been sign that Mick had made which fans weren't happy with and then Mick got the sack after we lost to we lost to West Brom five1 at molyneux which was sort of the, the final straw but I genuinely think if, if if Mick would have stayed in charge at the point Mick left, we weren't in the relegation zone. Um, but I think it was a knee-jerk reaction and one that cost us dearly because we didn't win a game after that and we got we finished 20th by a long way. Um, for me personally, i had <clears throat> been injured for a lot of that season with a bad back injury, but then I think I played the last sort of 10, 15 games or was involved anyway. Um, so I, I was just ready for the following season to, to bounce back. I generally thought we had a really good team. If we could keep certain players, we'd have a real chance of bouncing straight back. Um, and then we got a new manager, and it was Stoller Solbakken. And right from the outset, you could see that what he wanted to do, it was, it was a very European way of playing football. Um, and we didn't really have the players to do that. We were, as I said before, we got promoted and under Mick, we were a a full blood and guts team. We worked so hard for each other. Everything was on the front foot, always passing the ball forwards, whereas all of a sudden Stoller came back and uh, came in and wanted to change everything completely. We wanted to defend in a very low block, Um, not really press teams, let teams come onto you and then hurt them on the counter-attack. Molyneux at the time was not a very forgiving place for, for a Wolves team to be sitting back and letting the other team have the ball, especially in the championship when it was, you had teams, I don't know, like Barnsley or Wigan or, or teams, no disrespect to them, but they were coming to us and just dominating the ball. And then once the the atmosphere starts to change, then all of a sudden it makes it harder when we do get the ball, your confidence isn't quite there and it just wasn't working. Um me personally, again, I, I think I broke my foot sort of halfway through Stoller's time, so I missed a lot of games, um, and it just kept deteriorating the relationship with the fans and players was getting worse and worse. And then Dean Saunders came in in the January, and it just kind of went from from bad to worse. And yeah, it was a it was a real toxic environment. And I watched the Sunderland documentary and things like that, and it was so similar to that. When I look at it, I just think it just takes me takes me back to what Wolves is like. It really does um everything was there was no togetherness from the club from the the owners the the staff the players the fans it was so disjointed so disconnected um and it was almost when that relegation came I, I think it was the the second one it was almost the best thing to happen because the club needed a complete clear out right from top to bottom in terms of personnel attitude um direction, and it wasn't till that point where that had to happen then because of financial reasons and stuff and it was a bit of a blessing in disguise and i think without that wolves might not be where they are today because of that they needed that big sort of um, uh, not not clear right but just galvanize what the whole clubs about and reconnect with everything um because we were so all over the place and it wasn't enjoyable it wasn't an enjoyable times to be a wolves player you you were so not nervous going out to play, but you were you were fearful of what the fans were, were going to be like. We just wanted to play away from home. Playing at Molyneux was just not a nice experience at the time. And when you're a Wolves player, when things are going well, Molineux is the best place in the world to play. But when things are going bad, it, it's very, very difficult to to try and turn up and play to your full potential because you all of a sudden you're worried about making mistakes and, and things like that. And that's not how to play as a footballer. And you have to be real big and brave to to come through that um so it was yeah it was just a real difficult time on and off the
0: pitch Kenny Jacket very much oversaw a clear out a lot of players quite a few experienced players who'd been there for a while were set to one side I might even go as far as to say jettisoned by by Kenny Jackett but not you um I'm interested given that you know, a lot of people, a lot of players, might have been considered sort of guilty by association uh, for this double relegation. You can understand, and you've even alluded to the fact that it was a necessary clear out. But, uh, but you very much not part of that clear out. Do you have any thoughts on why you got this sort of stay of execution, for want of a better <laughs> phrase?
2: I, I don't. I think when Kenny came in, I think he was he would have been told the wage bill needs to come down by so much. Um, basically these players need to go and when you looked at the the lad in the dressing room it was jokingly called the bomb squad Um, they were having to come in and train at sort of four o'clock in the afternoon they weren't allowed to get changed in the same changing rooms we sort of weren't allowed to be a part of them and there was some lads in there you think well yeah they're justified to be in there because of their attitude's not right they're not wanting to be Wolves players and things like that but then on the flip side there was some lads in there you thought it's a bit harsh on them because they're, they're really good professionals. They've given their all to this football club, the likes of I think Kevin Foley, Stephen Ward, Carl Henry. Um, but they were also ostracised as well. So it was it was strange. And I think probably one of the main reasons that I wasn't um, sort of cast aside was probably that my wages wouldn't have been as much as what the other boys would have been. Brutally honest, I think I was a, a player that they could have probably kept, um, afforded to keep in League One um and then they thought well it's it's worth maybe having some experience around and um I loved I loved what sort of Kenny was doing and trying to do so I I was delighted to be a part of it and because I had so many injuries leading up to that I almost felt like if I'd have left walls at that time then I'd have left in a a bad light as well and that have remembered me for being a player who didn't really play as much over the last couple of years and when I did play my form was nowhere near like it was when I was first at Wolves um, I was struggling like the rest of the team and and I was glad that I got that second opportunity to sort of resurrect my Wolves, play, uh, Wolves career because even though how difficult a club it is to play when things that aren't going well you can't take for granted what a huge what a huge football club it is and it is a real honor to be involved with it and I didn't want to give that away easily um so I was delighted that I got that second opportunity.
0: Yeah, and it worked very well. Of course, a a huge, huge points tally, 103 points in uh, promotion from League One to the Championship. So certainly phase one of Kenny Jackett's job done and successful and you very much a part of that team. And then there are three more seasons in the Championship with Wolves. And in your final season with the club, you were runner-up in the supporter and player's position Player of the Year votes to a certain Helder Costa. Uh, no, Ivan Cavallero was also in that team, and this is when Wolves's transition, I suppose, into the the club that they've become pretty swiftly um, was starting to happen. In fact, you left the summer that Ruben Neves arrived, so um, you know there were there were big shoes to fill for Ruben. In, in fairness, yeah. but I think like, with like his the likes <laughs> yeah, I think with his. With his long-range passing and his 40-yard screamers, he just about did did that. Um, (laughs) What are your thoughts on, on, you know, just just a last bit on Wolves, what are your thoughts on what's happened to the club since? I I can imagine, I mean, you're uh, a very positive person and no doubt thrilled that, to see what's the success that they've had. It must also be quite surreal, given how much of your career you spent there, and especially with former teammates of yours like Connor Cody and Matt Doherty reaching the levels that they're at now.
2: Yeah, I can honestly say from the the bottom height, it's, it's been incredible. It, it, it is a different football club now from when I was there. Even I've been to the training ground a few times to do little bits and bobs. It's, the whole place is, is a top, top Premier League club now, and you can tell that it's very different to when I was there. I said I was amazed when I first joined of how big it was. Well, now it's on a, another level completely. Um, but no, I'm, I'm genuinely thrilled from because I think the time I left was the perfect time for me personally. I know Wolves went on to get promotion that year and things, but I know in my heart of hearts, I, I wouldn't have played much that season. Um, I'd have been a very much a bit part player. Um, and as you just said a minute ago, the season before that, I I scored 10 goals that year. I was close to winning player of the year and I was captain a lot of times. We we won at Anfield in the FA Cup. I, I had a really good season. My probably my most enjoyable season as a Wolves player. And I felt I'd have been what thirty years old then, um, thirty one, and I felt like I was I felt like I was stepping up to the plate at, at that point And my experience and, and things like that. And I felt like a lot of people relied on me. And, and I, I really enjoyed that that side of things. Um, and it it was the right time for me to go because when I left, I think I was left in real fond memories of the football club. And I think the fans with me, we had a real up and down turbulent relationship. And I still do have a lot of fans. It's sort of, I'm very Marmite to a lot of them. Um, But I think when I left, I didn't receive one bad message. I think everyone was so grateful towards me for what I'd done sort of 10 years at the football club. Um, And it just felt right to go. And even when I go back now, I'm sort of um, get a really good response from the fans. And I think if I'd have outstayed my welcome a little bit, I think that would have tarnished it a little bit. Um, and when I did leave Wales, still had a really good chance of qualifying for the World Cup. Um, and I felt like I needed to be playing football games. And Nuno had kind of said to me, look, you're, you're going to be fourth, if not fifth choice centre midfielder. They're playing two holding midfielders. It didn't really suit me at all the way he wanted to play. Um, so and he, he Nuno was brilliant with me and said, if, if you want to go, I completely understand and I'll help you go if you need to be playing football matches. Um, and he helped me along and I could see what was happening at Wolves and it was um, it was really exciting times for him but I just felt like you, you know when it's coming to an end and it just felt right that it was it was my time to move on.
1: The move took you to Reading in 2017. Uh, Reading on the yapstan the season before had finished third and lost on a penalty shootout to go up to the Premier League. So presumably you thought this was a move that could possibly take you back to the top flight but things didn't necessarily go to plan under Yapstam and the season was mainly spent staving off relegation back to League One. What what were your thoughts on that season, looking back uh, at Reading? Because um, as I say, presumably you went there full of hope that this was an opportunity to get back to where you wanted to be playing.
2: Yeah, it was a it was a tough season um, personally, and for the for the team. Obviously, after the expectations of what the the year before had brought with the the playoff final. Um for when I left Wolves, it was all quite quickly it happened. I remember coming in from training and my agent around me saying that Wolves had accepted a bid, but no one at Wolves had told me they'd accepted a bid. Um and I kind of went in from the train, I went to see the, the chief exec at the time oh, the, the sporting director time said, Is it is it right that we accepted a bid? Um but he wasn't he wasn't in the office or anything like that. So I just had to take um, my agent's word for it so I kind of packed all my bags together and went down to Redden. And, and the one thing I wish I would have done I think I wish I would have taken a little bit more time over that decision because um, I, I, off the back of a, a really good season I know there'd have been a few teams interested in in me um, but I went down to Reading and I was really impressed with the place and obviously they said they missed out on the, the, um, the Premier League by only a small amount the year before um and they really wanted me. Um, so I kind of went down that weekend and I signed straight away. And I, I do wish I'd have kind of just waited and taken it all into consideration because it was a real pull on me with my family that um my kids were happy in school up in Shropshire. I didn't really want to move them down. So I ended up um sort of living down there in the week, coming back after games and things and and it was it was really tough. Um for me, i sort of very much a family man, and I struggle to be away from the kids. And in hindsight, I wish I'd have probably moved them all down. But once I'd realised that um, they should be down, and I knew my reading career wasn't going to be that long anyway, so it was it was tough. But we had a lot of good players, and the opportunity to work at Yapstan was was massive for me because someone you watched as a as a kid playing for Man United and um, a legend himself, and I was in awe of him a little bit when I when I came, and he was one of the best coaches I've ever worked with um, in terms of tactically and knowledge. He was absolutely superb um, but it just didn't quite work that season. We're very much a possession-based team um, playing out from the back and then we almost needed better players to do it because when things started to go bad that's when you need the real big players to stand up and still want the ball and you could see our confidence was really starting to dip and we were giving goals within the first five or ten minutes of most games trying to play out and um, Yap didn't want to change. He sort of stuck to his gun, stuck to his philosophies, but it was more our confidence which was affecting us. And it was, a, it was a real struggle then that season. And I think everyone at the football club was glad when it was over and we were safe, even though we made a hash of it going into the last game. We played Cardiff away and they needed to get points to get promoted. And we still needed something really to, to stay up because we'd lost 4-0 the previous game at home to Ipswich. Um, So we we finally did I think everyone was relieved when the season was over and we could hopefully regroup and start again the following season.
1: Thankfully, you weren't away from Shropshire for too long because a homecoming to Shrewsbury was next on the cards, of course, where you are now as well at the end of that season with former Wolves teammate Sam Ricketts in charge. You went back home, uh, and maybe a bit of a frustrating start for you. Do you think there was an added pressure you were putting on yourself early on in your second spell at the club that, that maybe played into what initially happened?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think the, the desperation to, to to go back was huge. Um, I felt at the time I would had a, um, a tough six months at Reading last sort of in that last season, um, and um, I. Done uh, had a knee injury, my medial ligaments. So I hadn't, I did it in pre season and then I hadn't started training again until December. And then obviously I signed for Shrewsbury in the January. And Shrewsbury was really the only club, and financially, it probably didn't make sense for me to to come back to Shrewsbury. But I felt, I know I'm big talks to my family about this and my agents and things like that. But Shrewsbury for me at 33 years old when I signed is the only club which I feel can sort of get that last bit out of the sponge now. Um, I think going to sign somewhere else for financial reasons or to stay up in the championship or do whatever, I wouldn't have that same determination and goals that I would by coming back to Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury was the one club which would put that pressure on me. And I think that I needed that pressure if I was just seeing out my career somewhere where I didn't really want to be then that would affect my performances. I've always played better when there's a little bit of pressure on myself. And I felt Shrewsbury would bring that a, a bit of a responsibility for me to, to come back and want to do so well. Um, and realistically, when I signed in January, I was in a fitness wise, I was never in a, in a place ready to to play, but I was just so desperate to play. Um, and that's probably what the start of my Shrewsbury wasn't great. And then I had a bad ankle injury at the end of last season. Um, and that was, ended up being a little bit of closure for me. I was back at Shrewsbury where I wanted to be. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to be fit for three or four months. So just sort of get my head around that and make sure I was ready for what this season has been. And um, I made sure I was. It's been tough on my ankle because I did come back quite quickly because we had no no midfielders at all. Um, but just just the second half of the season, I feel like I'm finally getting back to to where I need to be. Physically, I feel really good Um Still at 34, I'm still sort of covering big distances on the football pitch and, and things like that. And I felt like my form was finally starting to get to where it needs to be um, before all this has started to happen. So I do think it's all heading in, direction, in the right direction. And I feel like I'm in a place now i I really can offer Shrewsbury something more than just me being a fan of things like that, but actually as as a footballer on the pitch as well.
0: Dave, we cannot let you go without talking about uh, playing for Wales and specifically uh, one major international tournament, Euro 2016. You've written a book about this, so there's plenty uh, more ammunition if people want to read about it and uh, all proceeds from the book going to charity as well. But um, it's interesting to me that, you've been involved at this stage with wales and the national team for eight or nine years and they qualify for the first major finals since 1958 but it was not necessarily a, a, an excited lead up to the event because uh, you had picked up an injury and there was some uncertainty looking back at the, at the press at the time as to whether you'd be fit and even if you were whether you would make the squad what was that few months like for you from the moment you got injured did, did it feel like that was it for the Euros or did you get your head down and, and always believe
2: um, it was definitely nerve wracking I think at the start of the the qualifying campaign I was in and out of the, the Wales team but then in the second half of the campaign, I think I started three or four out of the last five games. Um, and I felt like I was more of a shoe in then to, to be involved. Although we had lots of good midfielders, midfielders coming back from injury, I just felt like I'd done enough. But then at the end of January, I broke my fifth metatarsal against away at QPR. And I remember as soon as I got back to the dressing room, the first thing I did was say that I knew I'd broke it because I'd done the other one before. I knew what it felt like. So me, I speak to the physio, I said, look, it's going to be, what, 12 12 to 16 weeks. And he was like, "Yep." I said, right, let's get my phone out, calendar. And that kind of got me back just after the season had finished. I thought, that's not really enough. I need to play games. So I did, honestly, I did everything within my power to make sure I was fit as quickly as possible. I was sort of going above and beyond. My lifestyle was ridiculously disciplined. Um, Honestly, I lived like a monk for 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 the first sort of eight or nine weeks and and it paid off because I, I played nine after, after the injury I think 10 weeks later which is it's a minimum usually a 12-week injury until um, you're back training but after 10 weeks I was on the bench against MK Dons and then 11 weeks I, I played 90 minutes away at Hull so all the work had kind of paid off and I was back fit and available. I think I played the last three or four games um, but it was still a waiting game, and um, we did a pre We did a, a sort of a pre-tournament camp out in Portugal, and uh, the sessions. It was. It wasn't like a normal, <laughs> a normal, uh, training camp where it's all fun and games because you know you're competing against the other players, and everyone dreams of this major tournament. And if you're going to get left out and not make that twenty-three man squad, you're going to be devastated. So when we're doing training games, and it was getting tasty, <laughs> tackles flying in, everyone wanting to, to do their bit. And then I remember, yeah, it was just, I remember being at home, getting the, um the email. They said everyone would find out by email. But I think Chris Coleman had told the ones who weren't going to be in it, but we didn't know that at the time. Um, But Chris Coleman had individually told the ones who weren't going to be in it, but I was still just waiting for this email um, on the Sunday afternoon. And when it came through, it was just relief more than anything, but like I've been saying all the way through this, it was another point in my career why I'm going to a major tournament. It's incredible. I don't even need to play a game that I'm going to a major tournament. Then that quickly changed to, if I can just play a minute when I'm there. I've played in a major tournament. Um, and little did I know that it was such a shock when Chris Corman pulled me the day before the opening game against Slovakia and says, look, Dave, you're going to start this game. I just, I, not in my wildest dreams as I expecting it. Um, and it, that was... Looking back on everything I've done, apart from if I can get Shrewsbury to a a playoff final and get into the championship, that will be the pinnacle um, of my career, that opening game of Euro 2016.
0: A a 2-1 win against Slovakia in which you started and then cameos off the bench against England in that defeat. And and then a famous 3-0 win uh, against Russia that secured progression to the knockout rounds what are, what are your strongest memories of the group stages is it starting against Slovakia or is it the heartbreak uh, in that game against England and I've just realized I've done an incredible pun on the name Joe Hart there with the with the word heartbreak <laughs>
2: um yeah but it's and that's this is what happens in major tournaments as well to go from sort of ecstasy to agony so quickly it was crazy because I've honestly after that Slovakia game I remember. The, the anthems I remember it so vividly and it was such an amazing occasion. But then three or four days later, ah, uh, we were uh, we were so low. We we're low in the snake's belly on that evening because we just felt like we had let everyone down and conceded in the ninety second minute against England. It was it was ah, uh, it was horrific. Um, but then that's where sort of after that, Chris Coleman was absolutely amazing and going into that Russia game. There was so much pressure on us. It really was. Um, and the day after the England game leading into the Russia game, he took us all out for burger and chips. He just said, look, let's forget about football. We didn't train. We didn't do anything. No analysis, anything like that. We all went out for burger and chips on the coast where we were staying and just had a complete down day. And he just took all the pressure out of everything. And um, his game plan for the Russia game was was incredible and um, we went on, I, me personally, I think it's the best Wales performance I've ever seen in my generation. Um, and I'm pretty sure they will be fans saying it's the best they've ever seen as well. We were sensational that, that evening in Toulouse um, and we won the game 3-0 and we were in the knockout stages and we, we topped the group as well which was extra special.
0: Amazing. What What are your strongest memories of the knockout games and or the sort of triumphant homecoming, this Welsh side that had reached the semi-finals in their first major tournament since 1958? What are the most vivid memories when you cast your mind back to that time?
2: Uh, well, obviously the, the Belgian game really stands out sort of going down 1-0 to the, one of the tournament favourites and then coming back to win 3-1 and Big vokes, he scores ahead header in the eighty whatever minute, and it's just pandemonium. That was that was really special. Um, and then it, it was a strange feeling when we lost to Portugal because it was the first game which we hadn't really turned up and played what we knew we were capable of. And we were missing Aaron Ramsey he was unbelievable that tournament. He was a huge miss in that game. We we're missing Ben Davis as well, who had been it had been a rock in, in our back three. Um, I think them two would have definitely made a difference. But after the game, we were obviously disappointed, but it was more a, a sense of achievement that we had come this far. Um, we we genuinely going into that Portugal game was probably the first time in the tournament we thought, do you know what? We could do it. We could get to the final and then the expectations had changed slightly and we underperformed, but after it all finished, we, we were just so proud of what we achieved and that homecoming, I think 300,000 people turned up in Cardiff for when we got back. And that is yeah something which will live for me for the rest of my lives. I had a stinking hangover though, when we did get back because <laughs> we'd been on a bit of a, a bender right in now the place we were staying on the uh, um after the Portugal game. So we, we, played the Portugal game, we flew back to our base. And then we had another day and night before we were flying back to Cardiff. So we sort of all went and chilled. We had a barbecue there. We had a few drinks and went out with the locals and watched the the France game. The France were playing the semi-finals that night and they had won obviously. So it was really lively everywhere. So we had a stinking hangover that next day. But it was a it was really nice going through the streets of Cardiff and getting all that. And then finally getting home to see your family and that's the one thing with major tournaments you don't see a your families for such a long time so it was I think everyone was relieved to get back at that point but
0: you're not finished yet you're still uh playing with Shrewsbury when football returns and you've talked about uh, the ideal finish would be to get Shrewsbury up into the championship what about what what comes next for you have you got strong plans for a uh, post playing career
2: this this lockdown period has made me realize is that I want to play football for as as long as possible so as long as I feel I can still offer um, on, on a playing level I want to. I don't want to give it up too easily so I've got a contract at Shrewsbury for, for next season and if I can if I'm still playing next year and, and contributing I'd love to extend it and, and go again for another year while my body still can um, you're a long time retired so I don't want to make that decision too quickly my whole routine has always been governed by football everything I do has always been governed by football where to be at a certain time ever since I was a kid in school it's just continued to, through to football and I almost want to just come out of that for a little bit of time. Um, I'm not saying coach will never be for me, but I think I need a couple of years out of football just to do some other things. Um, I'd love to still be involved in some way. I love say like that the work you guys do with media and things like, up, I know it's a very competitive field. So if I could do stuff in that aspect, I'd love to, but I've got lots of things going on off the pitch in terms of um, work with my foundation and business work, which really interests me. I, I'd love to give back to football in a different way, more of a, a like a mentorship way and trying to guide footballers through the pitfalls that you can you can go into, um, making sure that when they do finish football, they're in the best position possible. I don't know how I'll be able to do that yet, but some stuff like that really interests me, being able to to make sure that footballers do leave football in the best position because it is such a short career and being, being able to make sure they can handle it mentally, emotionally, and all those sorts of things. So, But for first and foremost, I want to keep playing for as long as I can.
0: Well, uh, for someone whose game was underpinned by excellent stamina over ninety minutes of football, um, we're very grateful to 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 put you through a a great psychological test as well, especially with that memory. So, thank you so much for joining us, and we're we're really grateful for your time.
2: Cheers, guys! Thank you very much. We've enjoyed it.
0: hope you enjoyed that interview with dave edwards there's plenty more on offer on the going up going down podcast so make sure you're subscribed it's available for free on all podcast platforms and ad free on the athletic app and website so please subscribe and join us next week on the going up going down pod